welcome you here today again. We're so thankful. It's so great to see all of your faces. It's great to see uh, a room filled with the body of Christ, isn't it? It's great to hear the hum again. Linford does a great job. Doesn't Linford do a great job? We don't appreciate Linford and our sound people enough. Let's thank you over here. Now, if it hums again, we're probably not going to clap. So, <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. No, hey, we are so thankful that you're here today. Today, we're going to go to our second sermon now in our countercultural series. Um, we're going to do this up until November, beginning of November. We'll, we'll see how many of the issues we actually get to deal with. But this week, we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. In particular, we're going to talk about life before birth. Now, it might seem like something that, that we don't need to talk about. Aren't we all on the same page with this? Don't all Christians believe the same thing? Well, statistics would say no. I was reading a story as I was working through um, preparation of the sermon of a young lady who had went to different churches and had, had been to church before, yet she had never heard a sermon on the sanctity of life. And it changed her life. But before we move into this topic today, um, we have to ask ourselves a question. As we, we look at all of the different things that we're going to look at, such as sanctity of life and sexuality and racism and Marxism and other things like that in our society, persecution, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what do we believe about them? If you, if you take it even, even simpler than that, what does your worldview tell you and say to you about these different issues that exist? Because your worldview is, is how you're going to view what's going on around you. As believers, our worldview should be centered on, based upon, and founded on this book right here. It's not a matter of opinion, but it's a matter of searching the scriptures for what God says is true. Because there is truth in this world. And God has given it to us. So as we look through these different issues, a huge question is, what does your worldview based on Scripture tell you about these things? If your worldview is not based on Scripture, we're not going to agree. Because today we're going to look at what the Bible says about these things. The issue of the sanctity of life has come more to the forefront, even more recently, with the passing of Justice Ginsburg. In the conversation of the next Supreme Court justice, could Roe versus Wade be overturned? Over the next four months, I believe we are going to hear more about the pro-life and pro-choice movements than we have heard in a long time. And you'll have to decide where you stand. See, in Scripture, I don't believe this is a gray issue. It's black and white. There's no question mark. There's no room to toe the line, but we'll get there. We need to start with prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, that we don't have to make up truth, but you've given us truth. Father, I pray that truth would be communicated today, not opinion. And Lord, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the biggest questions when looking at the sanctity of life is first deciding when life begins. That's what the Supreme Court decided not to try and decide in 1973. 
well, we, it's not our job to really decide when life begins. Well, I know when life begins because the Bible tells us when life begins, right? The Bible's so clear about that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 58, verse 3. Psalm 58, verse 3. If you brought your Bible with you today, pull out your phone. If you don't have it with you, and let's look at these passages. Because while it's important to be able to say that life begins here, it's important to know why you believe what you believe and then to be able to point people to that in the Word of God. For example, if I told you that the Washington football team is the best football team in the National Football League, you'd say, well, what's that based off of? Why? And I'd say, well, because I think so. And that'd be a lie. I don't think so. <laughs> But if, but if I could come in and say, well, here's why I believe this. It's because of this and because of this and because of this. And look here. Look at this and look at this and look at this. And I'm basing my worldview, my perspective on facts. This book is a book of truth that God has given us. And it tells us when life begins. Psalm 58 verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, you might be thinking, why are we looking at verses about wickedness? Well, because we're told in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that men and women are made in the image of God. And we're given a soul. Psalm 58 verse 3 and Psalm 55 verse 1 both tell us that from the moment of conception the wicked are estranged from the womb. The soul is intact at the moment of conception. It's not something that, that comes later on as, as when the baby is born. It's not like all of a sudden then the, a soul is given and then the child which is born is then all of a sudden made in the image of God at the point of birth. That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that life begins at conception. An individual is in place. The soul of an individual is in place at the point of conception. Look at Luke uh, chapter 1 verse 15. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Who's that talking about? John the Baptist. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill clumps of cells. Those individuals. And here we see that from the place of being in the womb, life begins. One of the most famous passages in talking about this issue in particular is Psalms 139 verses 13 to 16. It's one that you hear talked about so often at, at pro-life rallies or, or things like that when scripture is brought forth. But let's look at that today because that does play a huge part in our worldview of understanding why life is so important. See, as believers, we believe, or we should believe, that life is sacred. Life is sacred. That's why no matter what you believe about what happened with the police and the whole Breonna Taylor thing that we see happening in Louisville, your heart should break. As it was such a tragic thing, the loss of life. We should believe that life is sacred. Because each and every person 
is made in the image of Almighty God. And that starts at the moment of conception. Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now you've heard me talk about this before, and, and this is so important because I believe the gospel applies to the sanctity of life, right? That each person, each life, made in the image of God, sacred. That's why we have laws. And there are penalties for taking the life of someone else. Because life matters. Life is sacred. But you've heard me talk about this many times before as we, we look at the whole picture of all that has happened in our concept of time and we realize that before the beginning of the earth, before God spoke the earth into existence, He knew you, the decisions you would make, because that's the sovereignty of God. See, He knew every time that you would turn away from Him. Every time you'd say something you weren't supposed to say or think something you weren't supposed to think, yet the triune God decided to go through with creation anyways. What a beautiful thing. What an amazing demonstration of grace. And here we see that. In Psalms 139, let's work through it um, quickly here. There's uh, yeah, a lot more to get into. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb that we are created by God. We are gods. When you look at, at your little children and you view them as your own, well, they are, but ultimately they are the Lord's. You formed my inward parts. You made me God. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. We know that people are still figuring things out about the human body. We're in the year 2020. Science can do amazing things, right? Yet we continue to learn more and more and more. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, they saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when they were, when as yet they, when as yet there was none of them. Lord, you know what day I was going to be born. Lord, you knew which day you're going to call me home to glory. And you know what's going to happen in between. Now, we're not talking today about the whole free will conversation. That's a whole different conversation. The Bible clearly teaches that God knows all. Past, present, and future. This seems so simple, doesn't it? I mean, when we sit down and we talk about conversations like the sanctity of life, it's, it seems like a no-brainer, right? It seems like something that we should all be able to look at each other and be like, this is, this, there shouldn't be any arguing this. That, that the life in the womb is just as important as the life outside the womb. 
Yet that's not the case in our nation. Let me share some statistics with you from the uh, Guttmacher Institute. 18% of pregnancies, excluding miscarriages, in 2017 ended in abortion. 18%. Approximately 862,320 abortions were performed in 2017. That's down from 2014. As of September 1st, 2019, 29 states were considered hostile toward abortion rights, 14 states were considered supportive, and 7 states were somewhere in between. According to 2014 abortion rates, about one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. And the church has been sleeping. We wake up, we wake up when, when laws are passed like, like the Reproductive Health, Care, the Health Act in New York and we'll talk about that in a minute. Church, wait, church wakes up for about a week and uh, attacks social media violently with Facebook posts and likes and then we go back to sleep. 862,000. Where's the church? Those statistics should be sobering to each and every one of us. Well, the dropping number of abortion uh, rate is something that we should rejoice in. One out of four women by the age of 45 will have an abortion? Think about that for a minute. 18% of pregnancies in 2017 ended in abortion? Think about that for a minute. What if we took 20% of people out of this room? It's something that we should stand against, shouldn't we? It's something that should break our heart into pieces, shouldn't it? Yet in many cases, it's celebrated. Let me read you a statement. Tell me if you know where it's from. We believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans, that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. Let me read it one more time. We believe unequivocally, like the majority of Americans, that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. Do you know where that's found? found in the 2020 Democratic Party platform. It's not hidden anymore, guys. The Libertarian Party's not much different in their stance of abortion. It's not like people are trying to hide this behind a curtain. As I was reading statistics this week, it talked about how the majority of Americans don't want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. Since Roe versus Wade was incorrectly interpreted by the Supreme Court in 1973, over 59 million abortions have happened in the United States of America. The majority of Americans, the majority of abortions do not happen because the life of the mother is at risk, but instead for the sake of convenience. And statistics show that. Last year in New York, the state passed the Reproductive Health Act. Maybe you heard about it which allows abortions up until birth if a doctor would decide it was needed in order to protect the health of the mother. But let me read to you what it actually says. Um, well, actually, this is a summary from, from USA Today. It's a fact check. A fact check. You've seen those articles, I'm sure, around the fact check articles. This is USA Today fact checking people saying that it allows abortions up until birth. New York's Reproductive Health Act 
allows practitioners to perform an abortion on a patient who is 24 weeks or more away from the start of a pregnancy if the fetus is not viable or the abortion is necessary to protect the life or health. The law does not define health or viability of the fetus. The determination of these factors must be made by a healthcare practitioner, licensed, certified, authorized under state law, acting within his or her lawful scope of practice. Now, now different people will have different things that they say on this. And, and hear me today when I'm not trying to tell you that one political party is above the others. Both political parties have things that are wrong with them. Every single political candidate has something that's wrong with him. I'm not, I'm not trying to elevate anything today. I, I think it's time that we stop hiding things behind a curtain and just call them what they are. And when we look at some of these issues, we have to speak truth to what they are. I mean, the law does not define health or viability. So if a doctor decides that it's going to affect the health of a mother, the doctor decides, and health isn't defined. So who defines health? Well, the doctor. What if it's a pro-choice doctor who doesn't think that the life of a baby really begins until the moment of birth? Well, they can decide whatever they want. Acting within the scope of his or her lawful practice. Do you know that at the point of 24 weeks, a baby can be born and survive? Do you know that uh, week five and six, a uh, baby's heart beats about 110 times a minute? That by week six, eyes begin to form and they can see light by the beginning of the second trimester? I mean, I could go on and on and, and list all of these different things. There was a study presented, um, talked about how babies can actually feel pain in the womb. Where's the church? And at times, I think it can feel like we have no impact on what happens in the future with some of these major issues, but the truth is that we do. We do. See, the way that you treat other people can change their life. So what now? Well, the truth is that it's so easy to stand for something when you're typing on a computer. For some people. Some people don't like typing on a computer and it just doesn't work. It's so easy to stand for something until, until there's a sacrifice that's involved. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, and, and I have not done any research um, on Amy Coney Barrett or anything like that, so this is an endorsement of her, but I'm, you've seen immediately from the point when the nomination was shared. The attacks on, well, there goes Roe versus Wade. There are some who are going to desperately try and hold on to what they would call a woman's choice for abortion. See, the whole bo my body, my choice thing is a completely anti-scriptural perspective. There are many who do not disagree, even who are a part of that movement, that the life that exists inside the mother is actually a human being. But they hold to the my body, my choice, because what, what the response is, is this. It's that my life matters more. It's playing God. Choosing who lives and who dies. It's going to cause an inconvenience or disrupt the future of the mother. For many people, it isn't worth it. And that's because of a worldview problem. It's because of a sin problem. You know, we talk so much about a pandemic walking through and going through our nation. But our nation's had a pandemic going on for a much, much, much longer time than that. And it's sin. 
It's sin, and it tears apart the hearts of people. And this, the God of this age has blinded their eyes to so many things, and we have to realize this and realize that we're not fighting against the person that's next to you who's pro-choice. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? But instead, what Satan's trying to do in this world the whole my, my body, my choice, the, the reality of it is it's saying that my life is of more value than your life for the sake of convenience. That your life doesn't matter because I'm more important than you. It goes completely against the following statement. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. But among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, our worldview isn't based on the Constitution. It's based on the Word of God. Or the Declaration of Independence. But it's based on the Word of God. Yet when people try and justify saying that my life is more important than yours. Well, that's not the way this nation was founded. We live in a country that's of the people, by the people, for the people. And the people need to speak up. What we see going on around our nation isn't only against the way this country was founded, but more importantly, it's against the Word of God. See, brothers and sisters, the, the, pro the pro-choice movement um, it goes against Christianity in so many ways, a Christian worldview. The pro-choice movement is 100% incompatible with a Christian worldview. There's no middle ground. Ephesians 5.11 says, says, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So today that's what we're doing. We're calling it for what it is. For what we see happening in our nation. In this room, there might be 140 people, let's say. Each and every one of us interact with different individuals. If we love them the way that Jesus loves, and we speak truth to them in that way, we're going to reach twice the amount of people. And so on, and so on. But we're going to get there in a minute. I think oftentimes what happens is we, we find ourselves in a place where we know something is right or something is wrong and, and we kind of put our feet down and we're not exactly sure what to do next. What step can I take to cause any change? Roe versus Wade's been in place since 1973. I've been here for 20 years, 30 years. What, what am I supposed to do? I'm one person. <laughs> The majority of Americans view things one way. What am I supposed to do? Well, we're going to get to that. But before, let me, let me talk about something that I, I view as very important. I am wholeheartedly convinced that no one has ever been convinced or convicted that abortion is wrong because someone stands in the front, holds their fist up in the air, and screams that abortion is murder. Yet oftentimes, that is what you hear of Christians doing. I believe we have to speak the truth in love. But one of the things that we must be ever so careful to do is realize that this sin pandemic of abortion 
has plagued our churches as well. Maybe you're sitting in the congregation today and you had an abortion in your past and you still wrestle with it. Wrestle with, with guilt, with shame, with fear of sharing things. I mean, those are the things that you hear of. When you, when you read statistics of people that have went through abortions, those are the things that you hear. It's not a... Uh, people do not leave that unaffected. What I want to share with you is, is this. That at the foot of the cross, there's forgiveness. There's wholeness. There's redemption. There's mercy. There's grace. And it's found at the foot of the cross. And it should be found in our churches. I don't know how familiar you are with Roe versus Wade. Jane Roe uh, was the lady who was suing uh, Wade because she wanted to have an abortion, yet was not allowed to under law. So they took this huge battle, went to the Supreme Court, right? And it was a 7-2 vote for, for a whole bunch of different reasons, um, which are a whole different conversation in, in looking at that as well. Jane Roe, who is a pseudonym for, for another name, and, I, and I'm not going to give that to you this morning. You can look it up online and see. Um, but after this huge battle that was fought, she ended up having the baby. Because uh, throughout this time, actually... They were still, everything was still going through court. She had the baby. And she ended up working at an abortion center. Uh, but right next to the abortion center opened up a Christian place called Operation Rescue. And Jane Rowe started to get to know some of the people that worked there. And she became a believer. She became a born-again Christian. And she stopped what she was doing. And she began to tour the country and speaking at pro-life events. As a matter of fact, she even motioned to the Supreme Court to have the Roe versus Wade ruling overturned. It was denied. But what I'm trying to communicate is, is this, is I am sure that Jane Roe, in realizing and being convicted of her sin in her life, realized that there was a lot of damage being done because of the lawsuit that she had brought. I'm sure there was guilt there. Because we know when we do things wrong, we know the weight of that at times in our lives. I'm sure she carried that. Yet, she, in surrendering her life to Jesus, is just as forgiven as you are today. There's wholeness, there's redemption, there's mercy, there's grace at the foot of the cross. But what now? What do I do? One of the things that we hear going on everywhere is a huge push to vote. Voting is very important. I highly encourage you to vote. I had a conversation with a, couple of, uh, with a girl a couple of years ago. And she just graduated from a very well-known Christian college. And I asked her a question. I said, how do you as a believer vote for the person that you would have voted for? And her response to me was this. It wasn't, I wasn't trying to convince. I wasn't trying to change her mind. I, I wasn't 
saying one candidate was better than another. I just wanted to know how her mind was working in this scenario. And her answer was, well, I believe that something like abortion is wrong, but, here, but I don't believe that my personal faith and my personal belief should ever interfere in the life of somebody else. What are you voting for? See, I believe, and, and, I, and I, I believe this is, this is something from, that, that we see, that in every area of our life, our faith should weigh heavily on each and every decision that we make. And your faith should weigh heavily on who you vote for. I'm not here to tell you who to vote for today. That's your own conviction. And that's seeking in your own heart. But our faith should weigh so heavily. Our faith should guide us in the way that we vote. This isn't something just on the federal level, but also the state and the local level. The second thing that we need to do is, is we know how much believers will talk about being pro-life, yet once children are born, the church oftentimes goes silent. Did you know that according to Bethany Christian Services, there are three churches for every one child in foster care? Three churches for every one child in foster care. I meet with a group of pastors every Tuesday, and I was thinking through to myself, so there's 200 there, 200 there, let's say 150 here, so altogether 550 people, three churches, and out of those 550 people that exist as a three churches in the United States of America, can't one of them take a child from foster care? Now, what, what, I, I don't believe that adoption and foster care is something that God has called each and every family to. Yet I believe we should pray hard about it. That we should seek and ask for His direction. See, because my worldview tells me that my life isn't about me. My worldview tells me that, that just because the American dream is over here and everything looks perfect over here, that, that, that's not my worldview. My worldview says that my life, from the moment that I draw breath to the moment that God calls me home, is one that's supposed to bring glory to God. That's why I was made. For the glory of God. Not for my own glory. Not for my own satisfaction or my own comfort. And I think as we look at some of these things, the, the hesitations that fall on many people, is, well, this is really going to change my life. Well, you're right, it will. But are you really pro-life? I strongly encourage you to pray and consider if that's something God will lead you to. Again, it's not for every person. It's not for every family. But if you truly believe that life is sacred, isn't that something you should consider? Something that we should seek God for in His direction? The next is to communicate the truth in love. We have millions of angry people that are screaming at each other through their keyboards. The last thing the world needs is another person to stand up front and shake their fist. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Not only do we have to speak the truth to the world around us, but we need to speak the truth to believers as well. Statistics show that there are believers who are pro-choice. And we search the scriptures and we say, listen, your worldview is based on the word of God. Here's what the word of God says. But we do it in love, not in anger. And the last thing is to pray. I hope you believe prayer works. 
hope you believe prayer works. And we need to be praying for the government officials, state, local, for the children that are in foster care, that the Lord would convict us of what he wants us to do, that he would give us courage to speak truth, that life does not begin at birth, but at conception, at taking a step. And we have to ask ourselves the question as we work through this series and we look at so many other things, things that the world will say one thing about, but we as believers, we have to realize that there's going to come a time. We've been blessed to live in a nation that hasn't required tremendous sacrifice when taking true stands of faith for most people. But those days are changing. It's not meant to scare you. No matter what government is in place, the kingdom of God doesn't stop. The Spirit of God keeps moving. But there's going to come a time, and we're seeing it more and more, where taking a stand for biblical truth requires tremendous sacrifice. What's your worldview based on? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for life, that you are the giver of life, that you are the creator God. Lord, help us to stand for life. Give us wisdom. Give us wisdom in, in, in how we act and how we speak and who we vote for. Lord, provide clarity. Lord, I know convictions are different. The thoughts are different. But in the area of life, there's no room for difference. May we live like life is sacred. In Jesus' name. Amen.